Proverbs chapter 15, let's begin in verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The way of the lazy man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Let's pray together. Lord, where else could we go in this world but your word for the kind of wisdom that we need in this life? And so help us, Lord, as we sit at your feet and we learn from you directly. We ask your spirit would be our teacher. Help us to have hearts that are teachable and pliable, that are open to what you want to say to us, Lord. Thank you that you want to continuously mold and shape us into more and more mature disciples, those of us that know you in this room. And we ask, Lord, for a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts as we engage you in your word. Jesus, you said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. So, Lord, see us here continuing your word. Honor that and and, and use this time for your holy use and your purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So much in this book, man, we've just gone through so much wisdom as we've gone through these first 15 chapters and it's like you just think it's just going to stop. Like there can't be any more wisdom that I need to hear or that's um, uh, important for my life. One of the things that can surprise us if we've never studied Proverbs before is how repetitive it is. It, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this as we've gone through it, but he repeats a lot of things over and over again. And it's not because... He doesn't think that we're getting the message or we don't, we're not reading it or whatever. It, he knows that we need to hear it and be reminded over and over again. Unfortunately, we gauge our Christian maturity supremely by what we believe and, and, and agree with, when we, especially when we hear a teaching or whatever, instead of what we're currently obeying. 
And the great thing about God's word is that he's always saying things over and over again. Even Peter in his second epistle said he would always provide a way for those saints to be able to be reminded of the things that he'd already told them. We need to be reminded because we forget. But also, we may be good with certain things at the moment. We may be receiving it. We may be obeying it at the moment, but maybe tomorrow we won't or weren't, weren't. Or won't be, whatever it is to say. I use the past tense in the future all the time. I get confused easy. But, you know, the, the point is, is that I may be okay with some of these things now, but in the future I won't. So when I read it in another part of God's word, it's there to encourage me. Now, this section of Proverbs 15 here, from verse 16 on, is we're going to start seeing some, the word better. You know, kind of repeating. And as a Bible student, you need to recognize key words. And key words are sometimes repeating words. So if we see something that's repeating over and over again, we need to take note. We've already seen him talk about something that's better than something else back in chapter 12. But there's basically, in this section of, of Scripture and other parts of Proverbs, there's 15 more times he's going to say, better is this than that. And what's important for us to recognize is, and so often it's like this in life where we think something is between it's good or bad, and sometimes that's not the choice. That There is that choice. We have to recognize there's good and bad, and he wants us to choose good over bad, but sometimes there's good, and then there's better, and then sometimes there's best. It depends on the situation. And so he is very clear. He knows that. He knows we need to understand these things and we need to know that there is a higher choice for us. And some of these choices will be between things that are, are bad for sure. And it's really good and bad still. But there are some things that are both valid, but one is even better, more desirable. And God, see, that's, that's the amazing thing about God's heart. And some of, some of the times we can forget about this is that he really wants to bless us, but sometimes we get in the way of that because of certain things. But he always has us, uh, our, our best interest in mind. He's always for us. He always wants what's best for us. But it's hard for us sometimes because the, the things that he allows or the things that he's doing in my life, we think that, well, it's a bad thing, so it can't be allowed by him versus him using everything he's so sovereign he's going to talk about that in the next chapter he's so sovereign he can use anything for his purposes and he uses those things and allows those things for our betterment you know everything that satan did to job had to come through the filter of god's sovereignty satan was not sovereign he couldn't do anything he wanted to to job there was definite boundaries on him and so uh, it's good for us to know that he is wanting our best he wants the best for our lives he wants the abundant life lived out and the abundant life is not getting everything that we want the abundant life is the life that he has planned for us and the only way we can know that is by having a daily time with him taking up our cross daily he said if any man wants to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me but that's not a popular message today a lot of pulpits will not say that because people don't want to hear that in an increasing way. If you look at the prophetic word related to teachers getting worse and worse in our culture and in the last days, it says they will heap up for themselves teachers that will, that will provide for them what their itching ears want to hear. 
And one of the signs in 2 Timothy of the end days, the last days, is that men will be lovers of themselves. So messages will be more and more increasingly man-centered in churches. Will be increasingly about me and getting what I want and using this book as a means to get my whatever I want. And that's, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to forsake everything. When he called those disciples, he said, come follow me. He didn't say, okay, and here's the contract. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is where we're going to go. We're going to be here this long. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And you're going to, he didn't do any of that. He just said, come follow me. They had no idea where he was leading. And sometimes we can forget that. We can walk with the Lord for a long time and forget, hey, that's what we signed up for. That's what we signed up for. We signed up to die a daily death of our flesh, our sinful nature, and say yes to whatever his plans were for that day. And they will not make any sense many, many times. All through the scripture you see it not making sense. You go through example after example in scripture of what God leads people to do, and it makes no sense because he does things in such a way to where when he does an amazing work, he's going to get the glory and not any man's going to be um, lifted up or venerated as a result of that. He wants to make sure that the glory does not go to us. So he starts in verse 16 here. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. There's a type of trouble which comes with gaining great treasure a certain way. For sure this is, and he's been talking about this. We've seen this as we've gone through verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. We've seen him talk about dishonest gain and all that. He's going to get to bribes in a little bit. There, there is all of those things. And, of course, the, the life that's lived with finagling in a way where it's dishonest gain and hurting other people, taking advantage of people, all of that, that's going to lead to a life that's full of trouble. And sometimes we can be stumbled by the, the prosperity of the wicked. Even David was. And he said, I was stumbled by this until I went into the house of the Lord. Why? Because I went into the place where I got my eternal perspective back and saw what their end was. And he's going to talk a lot about their end, the end of the wicked, uh, in our verses today. But he says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that awe, that reverence, that respect, that submission to God. And saying, he is my Lord. He is the one that I submit my life to. Better is a little. There are seasons where we have little. There's seasons where we can have more. All those things need to be in complete submission to God, and we're supposed to have the fear of the Lord regardless of what we have monetarily. We have to have an open hand. If we don't have an open hand and let him be able to put in and take out what he wants to do to, to take out, then we're going to be limited. He wants us to be free to bless, and that's the kind of life that he does bless. So we don't want to have trouble in our lives as a result of hoarding life's resources on ourselves. That's not what he's called us to do or to be. Verse 17, another better. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. I just love he's talking about dinner. Um, I like dinner. I like, I don't really do three meals a day. I'd probably do more than that, unfortunately. But um, he's talking about dinner here. Sorry, vegetarians. He's talking about, you know, the fatted calf appears to kind of be maybe more desirable. But, you know, you have to have the right things involved. And, and love is obviously the critically important component that needs to be in a family or 
in, even in any relationship where you're sitting down. See, the, 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 the Hebrew mind and how God had kind of allowed this whole thing to progress in their kind of their whole culture, and still is in many parts today, is when you eat with somebody, you're becoming one with them because you're both eating the same thing. And so you're kind of, in a mystical sense, that you're one. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's where their perspective was. That's why they would never eat with the Gentile, a Jew, because they don't want to become one with the Gentile. So this, this, this really expands in the New Testament. And when we get to the book of Acts and we go through that, we're going to see all of this and how the apostles had to get over this and all these things. There's a lot that God had to do to get them to accept Gentiles, but that eating was a big deal. You're like, what's a big deal? A meal. Well, it was a big, a really big deal because they were connected so he's saying where love is, and you know, it's a good reminder for us, related, if, if we're parents, grandparents, the importance of having love in the home and the effect that that has in the home. And, and he said, if you could have, if you prefer the fatted calf, but you don't have the fatted calf and you have herbs, that's better with love than to have, um, a, you know, a, a hatred and and and, dis, and uh, strife and all those things that are happening in in a home and so it's good for us to remember that to, that we need to have of course it's great to have a dinner time have a time where you're there with your children your grandkids or other people maybe you don't have children other people that are in your life that God's placed in your life to be able to sit and affirm one another love one another great time to be able to laugh and to be there for each other and ask how we're doing and all that take advantage of meals Meals are a great opportunity to be able to get to know people and all of those things. But we, if we have strife, if we have hatred and all those things, we could have, and I'm going to go beyond the fatted calf. Um, well, kind of not really, but like, you know, the, the, the ribeyes. I like ribeyes. I'll just go on public record uh, as I like ribeyes. Um, and that is a fatted calf for sure. Um, but, you know, when we have... A nice steak or a nice meal and, and, and God wants us to enjoy it with other people. We can't enjoy that. Doesn't, he doesn't care about the, 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 what we're eating to, but the focus for him is how we're treating people and how we're interacting with people and how we're being sensitive to one another. It's a, it's a great privilege to be able to, when we have agape feast once a month and, and all these other times, to be able to come together and be able to share with one another and to have that love and the house should be a very loving place, but it can be ruined by, any meal can be ruined by strife and hatred. Verse 18, a, wrath, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Allays means to put down or put at rest, or you could say extinguish, um, all of those things. So a person that's upset and has an anger issue, um, stirs up strife and contention and 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 but he who has is slow to anger and that again we I talked about this a week or two ago all oh, I have an Italian temper I have an Irish temper I have this or I have this you know and, and we put excuses attached to it but honestly we have if we're if we're a Christian we have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us at any moment asked to be refilled we can have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives and all of that. And in that moment in time, between the time that we would normally react, we can pray and we can say, Lord, please help me right now. Give me power to not react in a, in a, in a, in a destructive or wrathful way because we, I know that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
So we have to do that. We have to recognize that. And, and so when we're slow to anger, we, the contention, we extinguish, we put down, we put to rest, and all those things. Verse 19. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. This is interesting because lazy, a lazy man doesn't know how to do anything productive or he knows how but refuses to do it. And he says that's, that's like a hedge of thorns. Like if you're trying to get somewhere and there's a hedge of thorns in your way, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're spinning your wheels, so to speak. You can't go anywhere. But, um, if, but the upright who work hard or not lazy and all of that, they're like a highway. They're like a highway. The, the path that they're on, they get somewhere in life. But it's not just for my own life. It's also for other people, too. Because if we're wanting to help people, if we're lazy and we're not being productive and all those things, we can't really help other people. We, we're supposed to be helping other people with their lives and help them progress and get somewhere. Well, we, we can't help them. We're like a hedge of thorns to them in that sense that we can't help them get where they need to go. But if we're upright and we're hardworking and all that, we can help people get somewhere related to where they're supposed to go as well. It's kind of like a double application there. It's a great, great principle. Verse 20. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And we immediately read this we kind of think a young boy. A young boy makes a father glad, but now we switch to an adult. A foolish man despises his mother. And it's very likely that this is talking about the same person, that this is an older son. Because especially in the Jewish culture, they didn't just, they lived together. I mean, you live with your parents and, you know, all these things. It was family-oriented in terms of the living conditions, and many times they were cohabitating like that. And you're sonship or you being a daughter or whatever and the the significance of that relationship outlived your 18th birthday for sure and you had that relationship with them and all of those things and 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 I believe it's talking about the same person here a wise son makes a father glad because usually when you're younger like that you don't have a lot of wisdom there are children that have a significant amount of wisdom but normally the wisdom that that they're talking about is has to do with they're a little bit older and they're, they're walking out this wisdom that you've taught them as a parent. So you're looking at the result of your influence on their life and you're blessed by that and it makes you glad, it makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And so we can be hostile towards our mothers as, as men. And, you know, I recognize that ourselves, first of all, are the first people to talk about related to not meeting expectations, but... I mean, a lot of parents don't meet expectations and not, are not biblical and all these things, and we understand that. But there's still a, an appropriate response to older parents and to be right and, and, and to respect them and to honor them and all of that. We're supposed to do that, and so he's called us to that, and we need to model that for our children and our grandchildren. Verse 21, folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment but a man of understanding walks uprightly. So this just describes those that are fools in the scripture. God describes people as fools and, and that are foolish. They lack discernment. They don't do the things that they're supposed to do. And to them, folly is joy. I can't tell you the thing before I came to know the Lord that 
we and my friends um, were into and got joy from and all of that. And you just look at it now and just go, what kind of, what kind of heathen were we? You know, just like, I mean, the things that we were into and the things that we got joy from. I mean, I put bricks of firecrackers down people's chimneys in the middle of the night. That's horrible. Can you imagine? Bam, 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 waking up to that, thinking a bomb's going off in your house. I know, I know, but it's before Christ. Uh, but we got joy from that. That was very foolish. And, and we did not use a lot of discernment. Obviously, people can come out of the house after that and shoot you dead. You know, but I didn't think about that at all. And just walked right around the corner of their house and just started walking as if there's no danger. There's no one that could come out. It was just the grace of God that preserved uh, my life for sure. But, I mean, folly is joy to those that are destitute of discernment. And so that's what happens. And he, really what he's doing is he's talking about the man who walks uprightly makes good decisions. They have the, the man who walks uprightly has God's wisdom and acts on God's wisdom and makes good decisions in life. And, that, and that's a beautiful thing to see. So folly is not joy to those that are upright, who walk uprightly. Folly is folly. <laughs> and we reject that and, and, and don't want anything to do with it. Great exhortation. Verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the middle, or multitude rather, of counselors, they are established. And I love this because we've already seen this in Proverbs, that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. And so we have to look at who has God placed in my life. Sometimes it's people that, you know, that we wouldn't normally think that we, we would be receiving from them, but God uses them. And, and they have wisdom, and we need to recognize that, and we need to heed that wisdom, and we need to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? How does this line up with God's word? How does it line up with your experience and all of that? And again, I've said this, and it seems to be something that the Lord's pressing down on with, for us to, look, to, to consider is, is, is making these plans and rushing through things and not waiting on him. And that's, we're all guilty of that, obviously, but it's helpful to have a multitude of counselors related to our plans. Because the scripture says that God works together with us in many different ways. A man plans the way he should go, but the Lord directs his steps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. You know, there's, there's things where we have these things that we want to do, we think that we should do. But yet God is overseeing all of that. If, if we're humble and submitted to that, then he will bring people he will bring help he will bring wisdom he will bring resources for us and and that's the thing as long as we want to honor him in all of it he will compensate supernaturally and help us but yet even with that we're going to make mistakes and that's the beautiful thing about Romans 8:28 because he does work all things together for good but again don't forget verse 29 that we'll be conformed to the image of his son that's what he's working towards in our lives to make us more and more like Christ. That's his end goal. His end goal isn't to make us happy in the sense that we get everything that we'd ever want in this world. That's not the truth. I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. But we will submit ourselves to his plans, and his plans will always be what's best. They may not be what we expect, but they'll always be what's best. Verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season how good it is. A right answer in a certain situation 
not just for yourself, but for others, is, brings tremendous joy. A, a, just a perfect word at the perfect time is, is, does so much for people in our lives. And we need to make sure we recognize that we are careful about our words and careful about the things that come out of our mouth. Because God wants to use our hearts and he overflows our hearts to our mouths. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he wants us to be willing to say those things that are helpful to people and all of that. And it will bring joy, not just to us, but to other people, because they're strategic words. How many of us have been in certain situations where God gave us the perfect word at the perfect time, and we saw just how amazing the effects of that was? Yeah, yeah a lot of us. Those things can increase in our lives as we're yielded to him, as we're careful about what we say and we're prayerful about the things that we say and all those things. It's just, it's beautiful how, how God does things and how he works all that out. Verse 24. The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. So really... The, we can kind of see that there's not a static level in terms of the path of life. You're either going upward, and you feel like I'm going in circles, but you know, the circle's still going kind of up at the same time. It's kind of how it works. Or we're going downward. If we don't know Christ, we're going downward. And he's not afraid to say hell. A lot of churches won't say hell today. They won't talk about hell. They won't talk about sin. They won't say the S word. They won't talk about repentance. They won't talk about judgment begins in the house of the Lord. They won't talk about a lot of things because that'll offend the seekers that are coming and they want to attract the crowds at all costs instead of making disciples, unfortunately. And it's not like we don't make our mistakes as well and we make plenty of mistakes and all of that, but the, it's getting worse and worse related to what you can hear out there in, from pulpits like this. So the way of life winds upward for the wise. So as you're wise, as you're doing things God's way, as you're dependent upon him and you're trying to obey his word and you're being prayerful about things and all of that, that you're, you're, it, it leads upward. It leads to where we're going to be in heaven. And it, it, that's where it culminates. And so that's, that's the thing. We need to be thinking about those things. I want to read do you four verses out of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writing by the Holy Spirit says this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we are specifically commanded to set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. We have to deal with things on earth. That's part of our stewardship. That's part of managing what God has entrusted to us. That's, of, of course. And the other parts he says, look out not only for your interests, but the interests of others. So he knows we have to look out for our own interests. But where, where's our heart? Is our heart set on things above? Are we focused on things above? Or are we focused on things on the earth or even worse that lead to the place that the lake of fire that's coming? 
So the way of life winds upward for the wise. We want to set our minds on things above. Are there temporal things that have encroached upon your focus on the eternal? That's a searching question. I ask myself that. We, he, he continuously works to get us focused on the eternal. Jesus said that etern- invisible things are eternal and the temporal things are, are seen. So that there's things that we don't see. There's a spirit realm. There are angels and demons. There's the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes that we don't see. In Daniel, he prayed and there's no answer. And then the, the angel came and said, I've been trying to get here. I've been fighting the prince of Persia. And I mean, there's things going on that we don't see all the time that he reveals. So we have to have an eternal perspective. Verse 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Back in Israel, they had boundary markers on your property and it would be passed down from family to family and the firstborn and all of that. And there's a whole legal progression that happened and all of that. And sometimes, especially in that day, people would take advantage of widows. And in this time, especially, there were religious people taking advantage of widows. And they would take their land, they would alter their boundaries of their property and all of this. And, and the Lord is, is saying, I'm going to take care of this. I see it and I will take care of it. It says, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Doesn't matter what people try to do. I will come to their defense. You know, we need to remember, and James tells us this in James chapter 1, verse 27. We need to remember widows and orphans. It says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To not forget widows and orphans. And I I count single moms in the category of of widows. And, And we have to come alongside those people. We need to help them and be strength to them and all those things. God has a heart. He will destroy the house of the proud that people that take advantage of people, especially like widows, but he will establish the boundaries of those that the world may forget, but God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget widows, doesn't forget orphans. He care. I was raised by a single mom. I know all about the struggles of being raised by a single mom, a single parent, and um, God sees it and cares about it more than all of us. So good, a good reminder. Verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. But the words of the pure are pleasant. Now we saw in verse 8 that the sacrifice of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. The next verse in verse 9 we saw that the way of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. So the sacrifice of the wicked, those that don't know Christ, their their religious activity and their religious expression to God, that's an abomination. Their whole lifestyle, how they live and all of that, that's an abomination to the Lord. And so now we see that the thoughts of the wicked also are an abomination to the Lord. You know, it's just, it's just a it's good reminder related to today's culture of what's out there. And everything's acceptable. Everyone can believe however they want. And no one's going to ever say anything about what God thinks of those things. But God's word's the standard. And so we have to see how he thinks of people trying to come to God, the way that the wicked think, the, their lifestyle, all those things they're an abomination to the Lord. And it's easy for us because the culture is getting more and more tolerant of wickedness. 
it's very easy for our hearts to start thinking, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal what they're doing, how they're acting. It's just kind of becoming normal, kind of, and it just can start ebbing away at our perspective. That's what I love about going through God's word because God's just going to say what he means and he's going to mean what he says and it's going to be so relevant for today and he's just not going to apologize. He's just going to say what the truth is. And that's what we need. That's why we need to be uh, in God's word because we get to see his perspective. Now notice the last part of verse 26. But the words of the pure are pleasant. So first of all, as Christians, we don't want to pretend like we always have holy thoughts because we don't for sure and so there are thoughts that come into our mind and we cast them down and all that and there's thoughts that we allow to stay there and then we're that's when we're getting into sin and all of that so we're we're called to take every thought captive we're told that in second corinthians 10 verses 3 through 6 that we would take every thought captive and so forth and basically measure it by God's word that's why we have to know God's word because we have to know what doesn't line up with God's word to be able to cast it down and so like like going through the grocery store with a toddler and you end up with these things being placed in your basket you didn't ask for you need to go back and put them back and you know okay that's not we're not buying these we're not owning these things but we can as believers so that's honesty first of all just for believers but he's talking about our words The words of the pure are pleasant. Again, he just finished talking about the importance of our words and what comes out of our mouth and how powerful our words are. And he says they're pure and they're pleasant. And supremely, they're pleasant to God, pleasant to God. But they're also pleasant to those that we're speaking to. Everything that we say to people should be to build them up. And he says that over and over in Scripture. Verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, he who hates bribes will live. Now, in chapter 27 and other places, he talks about bribery. And, or chapter 17, rather. He's going to talk about bribery. He's going to say in verse 23 of that chapter, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to prevent the ways of justice. The bribes are meant to get around justice, to make sure someone doesn't look the right, the certain direction or ignores something it's it justice isn't done because people get bribes and that's mainly what he's talking about here he says that the that we have to you know hate bribes he says at the end of verse 27 but he who hates bribes will live so we can get i mean most of us are not in positions where anyone would want to bribe us Uh, i can't think of a context where we could be bribed we're not in public office we're not Whatever. Maybe you're in a place of authority where you could get bribed or someone could offer you gain to be able to do the wrong thing. That's a broader application. We can't say, okay, I'm going to get this and cut this corner and God will understand. And he just wants me blessed. And so I'm just going to do this thing and, and, and all of that. And, and, and he won't care. He, he doesn't like that. He hates dishonest gain. He hates those things that we do to kind of get around justice. He loves justice. Selfish ambition is dangerous. We all have to guard against that. And, and Paul talks about it in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 16 says, talking about people preaching the gospel for gain, he says, the former preached Christ for selfish, from selfish ambition, not sincerely. And, and, and so we have to recognize that 
there are people that preach the gospel and are, you know, doing it for dishonest gain, selfish ambition. But then he says to, to all of us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So that's, that's what he's aiming at in our lives. No selfish ambition, just doing the things that he wants us to do appropriately. And then he adds to it in verse 28, The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And the word studies there in verse 28 in the Hebrew has the idea of meditation. It's not just a cursory study of information and taking information in, but it's really meditating and really internalizing what we're uh, wanting to communicate to somebody. But notice he doesn't say the heart of the righteous studies what to answer. He says studies how to answer. That could be missed. Because God so, so often isn't as concerned sometimes what we're saying, because usually it's pretty close to being right on, but how we deliver it is a whole other thing. <laughs> I know I'm guilty of that. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So we're not supposed to pour forth those things that are ungodly and all those things to people, but we're supposed to study how to answer. And I want to give you a New Testament verse for, for that. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, he says how, not what. He presupposes that we're going to be giving answers and we're going to study to show ourselves approved. That's, that's a given. We're supposed to do that. Every one of us is supposed to study what to say, but we're also supposed to have our, and I love the seasoning he talks about. He, the food illustrations always get me, as you know, you know. Every time he talks about food, it gets my attention, unfortunately. But, you know, he says, let your speech be seasoned with grace or, or be with grace so he we get some, put some grace in that, that recipe, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer each one. And so that's a beautiful thing. It right, it's right in line with, with uh, verse 28. The heart of the righteous. And he doesn't say the mind. You see that? He doesn't say the mind of the righteous studies how to answer. That's important too. He says the heart. Because there has to be a commitment to do the right thing with what we have learned to use it appropriately, to use it in a way that blesses people and all of that. And that's, that's all through Scripture. So it's beautiful to see. Our hearts need to be in the right place. We need to study how to answer, and God will use it. Verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked. He's talked about the way of the wicked. He's talked about the, the, the sacrifices of the wicked. He's talked about the thoughts of the wicked. Now he's talking about the, that is, he's distant from the wicked. And they can claim to be as close to God as they want. And they'll do it all day, every day. Say how close they are to God, their connection with God, and all these things, how they pray and they hear, these, hear from him and all that. And they have, don't even understand the gospel and they're engaged in all these other ways that they claim are access to God, as if God has decided many ways to heaven when he hasn't. And um, but he says the, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. We, how many times, especially last week, we saw him talk about the importance of prayer. We have National Day of Prayer coming up. We have our prayer ministry. 
uh, we have all these things in prayer before the service, 9.45 to 10.15. Please join us. Bring your kids. We, have, we, meet, we meet upstairs, and we're praying for you. We're praying for the needs of the body. We're praying for one another and all this stuff. It's very important. He hears the prayer of the righteous. In the, in the book of Revelation, he describes prayers as like incense that comes before him. So when we look at the tabernacle, we look at the temple and the altar of incense, I mean, this incense that was there, all of those things were picturing our prayers and, and pointing to our prayers coming before him. And it's beautiful. James wrote in James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And God is always working to increase our confidence in the power of prayer. And what, what we would see if we took that more seriously in our culture, in our churches, and even in our church, in our own personal lives. Verse 30, the, eyes of the, Lord, the, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. And the light of the eyes is literally a cheerful look, because the, our eyes don't just take in. More and more we're learning that they project in the sense of communicating and and. and you know, the light of the eye and the, it, all those things, the cheerful countenance that we have and a good report. That's why we have testimonies up here intermittently where we share what God's doing and all of that. It's not just corporately, though. It's individually. Share what God's doing in your life. Share how he's working in your life. It helps us. It blesses us and all of that. The heart is rejoiced by seeing that cheerful look that you give. And so when we are with people, we're with other believers, our countenance, our mood, our words, our eyes, our everything, it affects everybody. And to be mindful of that is very, very powerful in how he can use our lives. Verse 31. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. It's talking about life, the correction that comes by life. And we can learn the hard way. Sometimes it takes so long to learn the hard way. God doesn't even want us to have to learn the hard way. He wants us to just learn right from his word or learn from other people's mistakes and all of that. But even when we're going through life, some of us are so stubborn, myself included, that life has to just work in, in such a way with us to where we finally learn the lesson, unfortunately. But he says the ear that hears. Notice he says the ear that hears the rebukes of life. Life is, the rebukes that, that life produces are loud. Those things are loud, and we need to hear those things. And that's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what he says to the churches and those letters in the Revelation. So we need to hear those lessons, learn those lessons. We have to be able to be rebuked by the things of life. Verse 32, he who disdains instruction, so he carries on that theme, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul now you would never say i hate my soul you never go out and say you know what i'm just mad and i just hate my soul you'd never do that but when you reject and, and disdain and hate instruction that someone's trying to provide or god's trying to provide it's as if you hate your own soul you are working against your own soul that's why we need to be so open and so correctable and so coachable and teachable and all those things but it says but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding the most humble people i know the most godly people i know they're willing to get rebuked they're open rebuke me they're teachable and it's hard for us it's hard for each one of us to hear that 
But we have to all cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants us to receive that rebuke to get understanding. We have to take advantage of every mistake that we make to be able to grow and get better. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. So again, he talks about the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. He gives wisdom as we humble ourselves before him, as we have the fear of God, as we respect him, as we obey him. He will give us that instruction, but it comes with humility. God will honor us. You know, there was a point at which Jesus said, when you go into a room, don't go and take the seat next to the guest of honor. Don't take the best seat. Because then if you're, he doesn't have that in mind for you, he's going to say, oh, you go sit at the end. He says, take the lesser seat and then let them ask you to come forward and then you'll be honored and all those things. And God wants us to be honored. He's for honor. Sometimes we think that we can't honor people in this life or they won't get a reward in heaven. That's not true. It's the motivation of the heart that, de- that determines about reward and why we did it and if we were spirit-directed and if we did it in love and all of that. But we can honor people. It's fine. We don't give them glory, but we can honor them. We can always point to the Lord when we honor people. But the way to be honored is humility. We want to exalt ourselves. But he's, Jesus said if he who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. God's the one who promotes. We have to recognize that. We can't make that happen. We can't call ourselves to something. Only God can call us to whatever he wants us to do. And the most dangerous people are self-called people, regardless of what it is that they aim to do in the body of Christ, because that means there's no grace associated with what they're trying to do, because God associates his grace and, and his provision with his calling. So that's the first thing. What is my calling? What what has God called me to do? What are my gifts and all of that? Discovering that and knowing that is the first step toward him powerfully using you because then you'll know if you're walking in what he's called you to do, then you have all the grace, all the power, everything that you need to walk in that because where he guides, he provides. Thankful that Pastor Chuck made that well known. Let's pray together. Thank you for these verses, Lord. Use them in our lives beyond what we could ever ask or think. Thank you for the privilege of being able to study these verses. Thank you that your word will outlive the heavens and the earth. Lord, we pray for not just our church, but all the churches in this area, the city, all the surrounding cities, that they'd be true to your word and teach your word and disciple people and not hold anything back. Father, we recognize that your word says all scripture is given by inspiration of of you. All. So help us, Lord, to feed on all of your word, Genesis to Revelation, in its proper context. Thank you for the model that we have in your word of it. And we commit it to you, commit this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.